Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to Cinematic Universe, a podcast that's all about comic book movies, which you can now find at cinematicmultiverse.com. I'm Joe Cunningham, and joining me to help make sense of the comics behind the movies are... James Hunt and the Mon Woman. So yeah, unfortunately Seb isn't with us today, but we are delighted to be joined by Amon for this episode. Um, Amon, do you want to tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself, who you are, what you do, what your special powers are? <laughs> sure. Uh, so yeah, my name is Amon Woman. Uh, some call me Amonymous. I'm joking. Nobody's call- nobody calls me anonymous. Um, <laughs> I'm a freelance film journalist for a few different sites, including Total Film and Hey You Guys. Uh, I also I'm also a video editor. I've been known to occasionally uh, mash up some of blockbuster trailers and things I like to call a montages. And I'm actually working on one right now, which should be dropping in the next couple of months. So keep an eye out for that on uh, on my YouTube channel, which is Anonymous Videos. That's where people call you it. On YouTube, everyone knows you. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> um, excellent. So um, so on this podcast, because we're discussing a new release in cinemas, we will be skipping the comic book movie and TV news section. So probably expect a bumper batch of that on next week's mini-sode. Um, but then we will launch into a spoiler-free chat of Tim Miller's 2016 film, Deadpool, and after that, we'll go into a spoilerific chat about everything about Deadpool. But before any of that, I'm going to ask James to explain a comic book concept that, as a movie fan, I just don't understand. And James, we discussed this. Well, we discussed these people briefly on our Deadpool on our Deadpool for Dummies <laughs> episode um, just mm-hmm. a couple of days ago. Um, the Morlocks. Who are they? Because I, I, basically, all I know so far is they live underground, but I know we're, to pro- we're probably going to see them in <laughs> X-Men Apocalypse. And given that one of the characters in Deadpool was originally one of the Morlocks, it, it seems like a good time to find out a little bit more about them and what their relationship with the X-Men is. Uh, are they in Apocalypse? I wasn't aware of that. Um, yeah, I think so. I think we're going to meet them at some point. Okay, that's interesting. I mean, the problem is there are like tons of them. I, I, you know, you could go on for days naming Morlocks who just have sort of random powers. I think the only one that's, the only one, uh, like the main one, I guess, would be Callisto, which is the, who's their leader. Right. Um, although Storm 
like the most famous thing she's done is lost a fight to Storm, which which gave Storm control of the Morlocks for a while. Okay, so there is, uh, but so they're a group led by a woman in the X Men world. Yeah. So yeah, uh, well, were... I guess I guess Emma Frost. She's in charge of who, who's her gang. Um, she's the well, other the school, Hellions right? And Hellfire Club. She is yeah, Hellfire. Yeah, yeah. Oh, of course she is. I mean, that's a different conversation. Is the like amount of female characters that Chris Claremont introduced into X Men? But yeah, Callisto is one of those characters. Right. I remember a couple um, of episodes of the X Men animated series, which uh, focused on the Morlocks and Storm. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That was an adaptation of that original storyline. So is is that their most famous storyline then? Yeah, pretty much. Like after they were introduced, and they sort of had that storyline, and then. After that, they just kind of hang around in the uh, continuity, not really doing much. So... Like, I think... Oh, sorry. The other most famous thing they did was get completely slaughtered by Sinister, but... Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So I was going to... Um, I thought maybe, Amon, if you've seen them on the X-Men animated show, I was going to test your knowledge and see if you can remember many details about them. <laughs> oh, wow. This is a long time ago, Cunningham. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I do sort of have the sort of classic X-Men series and it's been a long time since I've rewatched them so perhaps I will brush up on my knowledge and then maybe could test me <laughs> after that but I'm not prepared <laughs> <laughs> but basically their the, the, the bet... thing is they live underground yeah the thing is they're like they're disfigured physically disfigured mutants who feel like they can't blend into society and like oh, okay. the difference the difference between them and the X-Men is if you look at most of the X-Men generally speaking you're, they can pass as human Whereas the deal with the Morlocks is they can't. Like, do you know the character Leech? No. He's like a little green Yoda type kid, but like when when anyone's near him, when mutants are near him, they can't use their powers because he, you know, uh, sort of dampens them. He leeches off of their yeah, power. Yeah, leeches their powers from them. But he, like, he can never pass as human, so he lives with the Morlocks underground. Like, it's that sort of thing. That's interesting. That was one of the things on the second season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. that I thought was one of the stronger aspects. The um, Ruth Neger and um, her character and uh, Sky having the, like, the different effects of the inhumanness yeah, yeah. and one becoming kind of like a monster and one being able to just carry on living among normal people. Mm-hmm. I'm really enjoying Shield right now. I know that James, you stopped watching a while ago. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's 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 quite good right now. Agent Carter is far better though. Agent, that, I can definitely imagine that because Agent Carter is probably the best TV Marvel's done it's, at the moment. Second season has started very very strongly. Um, I can yes. I can definitely agree with that. Um, James, was it uh, was it angel dust we were talking about on the podcast yeah being a she morlock. she was introduced a lot later than most of the morlocks like they they did a new series called morlocks in the early 2000s and that was an entirely new cast based on a sort of similar concept and uh, should i take it from gina carano being cast in the movie that she doesn't have the kind of physical um setbacks that the rest of the morlocks do yeah yeah more or less <laughs> lucky old angel dust she gets to live <laughs> underground and she's pretty. Uh, <laughs> um, okay, well, uh, great. So that's the Morlocks, who, yeah, I'm pretty sure we're going to meet briefly in X-Men Apocalypse. I think yeah, it was that Brian Singer tweeted some set pictures from, like, sewery-looking places. Okay. So, yeah, may- maybe they'll go into hiding underground. <laughs> that's something to look forward to in that movie. 
Uh, <laughs> otherwise, I'm just looking forward to Michael Fassbender in that white vest and check shirt in the trailer. <laughs> really, really works for me. Really works for me. Um, okay, so um, now we'll launch into our spoiler-free chat of Tim Miller's Deadpool. Um, what we'll do is we'll have a quick listen to the trailer for the movie, and then we'll come straight back and talk spoiler-free about Deadpool. I love you, Wade Wilson. We can fight this. You're right. Cancer's only my liver, lungs, prostate, and brain. All things I can live without. What if I told you we can make you better? You're a fighter. We can give you abilities most men only dream of. Make you a superhero. You just promise you'll do right by me so I can do right by someone else. And please don't make the super suit green or animated. One thing that never survives this place is a sense of humor. Uh, We'll see about that, Pop Spice. Oh, come on. You're gonna leave me all alone here with less angry Rosie O'Donnell? why the red suit well that's so bad guys can't see me bleed this guy's got the right idea he wore the brown pants daddy needs to express some rage like old lady pants in here sounds like you have a dick in your mouth oh motherfucker you are hard to look at like a testicle with teeth look like freddy krueger face fucked a topographical map of utah exactly I'm touching myself tonight. You are haunting. You look like an avocado had sex with an older avocado. Thank you. Right. Guys, so that was the trailer for Deadpool. Uh, we've we've probably still got listeners here who have maybe seen the film already maybe that trailer is all they've seen so far and they're going to they're going to wait and pause after this section and come back when they have watched the movie to listen to the rest of the podcast um but we've all seen it what did we think uh yeah i was i was a big fan it took me a couple of viewings to figure out exactly how much of a fan i was well two viewings already you're definitely a fan <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. It's a, it's a it's a blast of a film, and you know it's interesting now that because we know it's getting a sequel and with mm. all the um, effort it took to get it made, 
Uh, they did a really good job. I think Ryan Reynolds is fantastic. It's one of the best performances of his career. I think he is, he's just absolutely perfect for the character. The humour is, is, it hits more than it misses, which is a very impressive thing. I don't think with Deadpool's brand of humour, it was ever going to be 100% hit rate. But it's around 80%, which is very impressive. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of it. I had a really good time with it. I enjoyed it both times very much. Can I just check as well? What, what were you thinking you were going to get from Deadpool? Did you think it was a film you were going to enjoy? Because I know we're going to get James's reaction shortly. And I think <laughs> it's fair to say that James was very wary about this movie. So mm-hmm. what, was your, what was your expectancy going in? I was expecting to enjoy it a lot. And I think we have to mention Eastern Passing. This has been one of the best, if not the best, marketing campaign in recent memory. Yes, <laughs> yeah. It's been exceptional. And I think that has you know, increase the expectations of even the, the, even the layman who wouldn't be interested in seeing a Deadpool film otherwise. And uh, for me, especially, I, I've enjoyed every single piece of marketing that they've done. And as such, um, my expectation was high. And it's interesting because if you look at the slate for 2016 superhero films, Deadpool is by far and away one of the smaller ones. But it's, yeah. Been, yeah. it's been one of the most talked about films um, of the year, of the very young year so far, specifically because of the marketing. And, you know, that deserves a lot of credit. Yeah, I've got to say, in regards to that, I did, like, I tweeted out early, uh, two or three weeks ago, like, my predictions for the superhero movie box office for this year. And I predicted Deadpool to be about $350 million when all was said and done. Because I just thought that the marketing was solid and that the movie was appealing to the fans of the character really well, but I didn't see it like really penetrating and crossing over into like wider audiences. And I'm already like, I'm already willing to accept that that $350 million mark is completely off. It could be double that. I think this, this film is maybe actually looking at somewhere between Ant-Man and Guardians of the Galaxy kind of money, which is really impressive given that Fox, this same studio, tried to launch a movie based on the Fantastic Four, a much more recognised property last year, and it died on its ass. So, yeah, you're right. The marketing campaign for this movie um, has been fantastic, and I think it does, it does look like we've already had a sequel confirmed, and it, it sounds like it's tracking well for this weekend. It's... Uh, yeah, it's going to be a hit. Because when it does things like, you know, um, there was a... I'm not sure if it actually went ahead with it, but I'm sure I've read a report somewhere that he, the Deadpool's going to be at the Super Bowl game serving chimichangas. And there's yes. stuff like that yes. where, you know, people who would never even know the name Deadpool because it's just a funny thing, well, all of a sudden, Deadpool, okay, I'm all of a sudden interested. Even with uh, sort of the bigger superhero films, they... They they get the big audience because they bludgeon you with the marketing. Deadpool gets the big audience because the marketing is ingenious, yeah. and I think that yeah. that's impressive. When when you're getting people to share your billboards around on Twitter from grainy like iPhone pictures, <laughs> you've done a good job, um, James. So you were wary. That's is that fair or is that is that tame for what you were about this movie? No, no, wary is about right yeah. because. I've never really read a Deadpool comic that I like, sort of even even the ones that are generally considered to be good, I'm not really a huge fan of. Mm. 
and it's mainly because of the type of humour. And part of me was going into this film thinking it's going to be very easy to make a bad version of those comics, even if it's an accurate version. Like, it's probably not going to appeal to me because I don't enjoy them. Yeah. But what they actually did was sort of distill everything that's good about the character and manage to put that on screen in a way that can appeal to people who maybe don't like the kind of forced and and sort of in-your-face nature of the of the jokes as they come across in the comics. Mm. Um, sort of my feeling is that it resembles Kick-Ass of, out of all the other superhero films and it's not just because of the kind of violence, it's also because of the sentimentality of it. And I think that's something that doesn't really come across in most of the comics. Like, there's a, a tragic edge... Like, we spoke about it the other day. There's a, a tragic edge to the character mm. that I wasn't expecting to see on screen in, in such volume. Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think you're absolutely right there. Um, I would actually put a lot of that kind of... that The success of that part of it squarely on the actors. I think Ryan Reynolds is incredible. Anyone who knows me will know I have a serious <laughs> hard on for Ryan Reynolds. And I mean that in every kind of metaphor. Um, I love the guy. I think he has spent most of his career being fantastic in absolute dross and that the good films he's been in are the ones that people don't <laughs> widely see. Um, like go watch Buried, go watch The Nines, go watch Chaos Theory, <laughs> Um, he's re- the voices. Yes, I think he's amazing. In uh, go watch some of those films, and you'll see Ryan Reynolds being really great. But also, Morena Bakarin, I think, does as much good work with a hooker with a heart of gold in a broad superhero comedy as is possible. <laughs> like everything she is able to get out of that role, and the chemistry that she has with Ryan Reynolds is fantastic. And you do get mm-hmm. that pathos there. Um. I, I think I would be broadly with you guys in kind of saying I am pro this movie in terms of I went to it, I had a really good time. I, I'm i not sure that I like laughed out loud at anything. I was in a screening with like five other people, so it wasn't really like conducive <laughs> with big belly laughs. But I kind of... I kind of felt myself continually, continually smirking and hearing or like registering a joke two jokes down the line because that's the that's how fast the little quips come that I was like oh her that thing that thing was funny I've just got that he said it so fast didn't even leave room for me to take it in um I think the (laughs) things that I found a little bit frustrating about Deadpool was what wasn't in there and I mean that in the way of when you've got a superhero who breaks the fourth wall, who um, isn't constrained by a 12A slash PG-13 rating, um, that I, I just felt that it could have gone a little bit further in its humour and in the targets of its jokes. Um, and, and just generally, like, there was just a couple of little things that I just thought, oh, and if it had have done that, it would have been even better. And I, I would say, for me, I've seen a lot of people who like this movie calling it a subversive movie and kind of, like, subverting the superhero genre. And 
I don't think it does that. I think it sits firmly within the established superhero genre in a very safe narrative, but then is funny on top of that. Um, so it, it, for me, it could have gone a little bit further. It could have like pointed out how much it was sticking to the the usual. Oh, let's get revenge on that guy and win the heart of that girl <laughs> and have a big showdown at the end where something collapses and then we all walk off into the sunset. Um, <laughs> but just all of those, like, it felt like it stuck quite closely to the genre whilst having all those additional trappings on top. So yeah, I'm I'm broadly positive while having those slight concerns. Um, is, was there anything else that you guys really liked or disliked? I'm just trying to think if I can say it without being too spoilery. Yeah. Like, well, no, the, 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 the action was great. I was very impressed. I mean, Miller has a background in visual effects. I think yes. he yes. founded Blur Studios. And uh, that definitely shows. Um, the first fight in particular is really, really great. And I was impressed by a couple of the uh, choreographed bits in the final fight, too. Um, as um, sort of choices when it comes to sort of the X-Men characters and the, and the characters they've used um, the powers with, um, they have Colossus and Negasonic Teenage Warhead those are really visualised on screen very mm. well too um, so I enjoyed that as well uh, and I, complete, I completely agree with you with regards to the love story as well I thought it was excellent one of the best we've seen in the genre in a long time yeah, great montage attached that attached that love story as well. <laughs> Maybe my favorite yeah. sequence in the film. <laughs> um, there was just one thing. One thing I wanted to say I really liked about it, which was the structure of the film. Because I I feel like especially Marvel have this thing where they they have a film structure that works, which is sort of you get a forty minute origin and then you get a big action sequence and then you get a kind of uh, lull where the characters sort of slow down and things aren't looking too good for them and then you have a half hour massive fight at the end where everything turns out fine and that like that kind of undulating structure gets attached to pretty much all of their films in some way mm. um, whereas Deadpool had this thing of it was cutting back and forth and like it used one fight scene as a framing sequence for maybe the first sort of hour of the movie. Yeah. And it jumps forwards and backwards. And like, I, it's not especially original and it, it's there to disguise the fact that the plot is very linear and quite thin, but I really appreciated having something slightly different put in front of me. Um, like as as big a fan as I am of Marvel Studios, like I feel every time, every time I see one of their films, I feel like I know where the beats are before I've even sat down. Yeah, I think that's fair. I was I was about to say before you kind of gave that caveat towards the end that um, I was kind of going to agree and disagree with you because you're right. It is han- it is hiding a very a very linear structure behind it, but being able to open up where it does and being able to cut back between the two things, I think is a really positive thing for the movie. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's uh, the, 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 the way or the, the times where they choose to cut back and forth are very smart and it makes it feel like the story was meant to play out that way all along, which is not easy because it's like when you think of the, the, the linear jigsaw puzzle, which you alluded to 
uh, James. You have to uh, what what the editors and what the filmmakers have done is sort of you know switch out all the pieces, reassemble them in a different way, but it still all fits together very nicely. And I think mm-hmm. that's, that's very impressive. It's a concept you see quite a lot in comic books. We don't really see it a yeah, lot. We don't really yeah. see it a lot in comic book movies. And I'm glad they use it here. Mm. Yeah, you're right. Definitely. Okay, so it's going to be interesting. I think we're we're all broadly positive, but I think what's going to be fun is digging into different elements and kind of trying to figure out what does work and what doesn't work. Because, like I say, I really like this movie. I think, or I quite like this movie. I think there is maybe a really, really great movie hiding in there somewhere. Um, but it's there's, there's just a, a couple of things that I wished it had done. So what we'll do is we'll cut away to a clip now for the movie. So if you haven't seen it yet, pause the podcast, go straight to the cinema and watch Deadpool, sing some DMX, and then come back... And I believe just time is a wrap some DMX, <laughs> and then just unpause, unpause, carry on, and you'll hear us discussing the film in spoilerific detail. If you've already seen the film, ignore that. Keep listening. We'll be back after this clip. X go give it to you. Wait for you to get it on your own. X go deliver to you. Go get some. She's gonna do a superhero landing. Wait for it. Superhero landing. You know, that's really hard on your knees. Totally impractical. They all do it. You're a lovely lady, but I'm saving myself for Francis. That's why I brought him. I prefer not to hit a woman, so please play. I mean, that's why I brought her? Oh, no, finish your tweet. It's not, that's fine. Just give us a second. There you go. Hashtag it. Go get her, Tiger. Oh, I so pity the dude who pressures her into prom sex. Okay, so we're back. So everyone that's here now has either seen the film already or just doesn't care about spoilers. So I guess we can just dive straight in. Um, and I think if we... We're probably going to attack this fairly chronologically. Um... Like I say, I was I was talking to you guys off mic and saying, for me, plot spoilers actually aren't that big of a thing in this movie because the plot is so generic as superhero movies go. I mean, Guy gets powers, gets angry about something bad that happened to him in the process, goes and sets out to get revenge on the guy, gets his revenge... Gets the girl, big fight at the end, the end. <laughs> so, like, I, I, I'm not sure what you could have told me pre-movie, plot-wise, that would have spoiled it for me. But if you'd have, like, said, oh, there's this amazing montage that goes through different different holidays in the year um, where they're having kind of themed sex around each of the different holidays and there's an International Women's Day bit... I would have, that would have ruined the joke for me. And I, I probably would have been slightly annoyed that I knew that sequence going in. So for me, the beauty of this film is it is in those little moments and in the little quips. And I, I mean, I, I can't remember 
many jokes from the movie just because there's so many and so little time to take them in and process them. But that that's that's for me what the exciting bits are. So we probably didn't even need a spoiler wall, but um, we've got one anyway. Um, and one of those little things, guys, to actually bring this back to the start of the movie that I really enjoyed was the opening credit sequence. <laughs> so before we actually get into the fight, um, which we get our credits... And instead of them being directed by, written by, and then the names, there are these funny little ways of referring to all the people. And um, uh, and this is all playing out to Angel of the Morning as well, which is a fantastic soundtrack <laughs> choice. But my favourite one of those was by, which was written by the real heroes here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really laughed at that. Um what what did you guys think of that opening sequence and then obviously those credits transitioning into the first main action scene of the movie yeah i mean i was gonna say the thing like that those credits really kind of emphasize that everyone involved in this movie must have been on board with it because yes. you can't you can't satirize the entire main cast and technical crew without them agreeing to that yeah, it's like on TV where you're like watching an episode and it says guest starring and you're like, oh, fuck off. Yeah. Like I didn't want to know, like it used to happen to me on Lost all the time. It was and, like, yeah, oh, I didn't, didn't want to know that that guy was showing up in this episode. And, so, and, and that's because of like loads of contractual stuff. So you're right. Like it really, it really does speak to everyone was on board with the joke that this movie, the the the, the premise joke of the movie anyway. Yeah. No, I think... If you're an audience member and then you sort of sit down and you, you watch that, I think if you're not on board immediately after that, you'll be. It's going to be a tough watch for you. <laughs> well, it lets you know what you're in for, doesn't exactly, it? Exactly, because it's it's Deadpool in microcosm in terms of the actual words that are popping up on screen, in terms of what he's actually physically doing. Because I think the position he's actually in, the, the thug's head is like right next to his man parts. Yeah, and he's, and he's pulling the pants down on another thug as the soundtrack is playing as the words are popping up on screen, it's actually Deadpool in microcosm. If you're not, if you're not on board in the first 30 seconds, first minute or so, you're going to find the rest of it quite tough, I think. <laughs> it is good, isn't it? Just because you're right. Just with that background image and the words on the screen, you get a sense of this is a movie that's acknowledging it's a movie through the credits. You, you get the idea of this being a little bit meta, a little bit fourth wall breaky. You get that it's going to have crude humour. You get that it's more violent and there's more nudity even through that man's butt that you see like it's got it's got all of that stuff and so if you are one of those people who just saw the valentine's day um <laughs> billboard that this this movie promoted to some people like it is immediately telling you so much about this film and about this character without saying a word and i always appreciate that like my favorite opening sequence in any movie of all time is also my favorite movie of all time back to the future which just by a panning shot across doc brown's office and back you learn so much about the characters and about the plot of the movie before a word is spoken and i always appreciate that yeah it's the best opening to a superhero movie since guardians of the galaxy i think um because that film again similarly it tells you everything you need to know after that first sequence after, after the end of the title sequence when um Chris, uh, Chris Pratt's Star Lord is uh, just about to get the orb. That yeah. first sort of five minutes is fantastic, and it's, it's similar here with the first minute. I think, mm-hmm. I, if anything, I would say this is more efficient 
Yeah, uh, absolutely. And it, you're right. It definitely, it definitely would probably put the right people off. Someone walks out of my screening uh, about twenty minutes in, and I thought, "Wow, you got twenty minutes in." <laughs> mm. <laughs> That's if you're not on board in the first 20 minutes it's not getting a lot better mm. i mean the one thing i will say about the credit sequence is like the fact that it mixed up the the kind of smart humor with the sort of pure and crude humor is is pretty much a microcosm of the film's comedy and again it's sort of I found the puerile stuff kind of hard to deal with at times because I get that it's Deadpool as the character and like he does the kind of lame one-liners out of context and stuff, but they sort of... That, you know, of any of anything with the comedy that I struggled with, it was that kind of thing. So I think it's fair to say that if anything in the credits puts you off, the rest of the film's just not going to work for you. Okay, so yeah, um, and after that, so we kind of, we kind, of, it is kind of a breakneck opening. After that, it's all slow motion, and we got the we got the credits playing. We then, am I right? We cut back to Deadpool in the taxi, traveling on his way for the first action scene, and then mm-hmm. we get the bulk of that first action scene with him, which is pretty much the test footage that was leaked out a couple of years ago. Um, which Ryan Reynolds has very amusingly pretty much said it was one of him, the director or the two writers who leaked that. And he's 70% (laughs) sure that it wasn't him, Um, (laughs) which uh, is funny. But I I actually thought in terms of action, that this was the best action scene in the movie. I mean, the stuff in the taxi is pretty funny. We're going to, we'll probably talk about the jokes and the tone of those jokes. Like you just mentioned, James, like, for me, some of the crude lines really worked. Um, like, I thought the the line about he bet it felt really big in his small hand was hilarious. <laughs> um, but at other times where he is just saying dick and like, oh, I'm hard right. I, I don't know. There was just a I, lot of stuff that I kind of went. Eh. I can I can literally pick out like the the line that made me just roll my eyes most and it's not even very crude well, it's not even crude at all go on it's just where he's in the car upside down and it zooms in and he goes hang on a second did i leave the stove on yeah it's like that for me is vintage comics deadpool in that it's not funny it doesn't make sense it's just there to fill space like there could have been any number of jokes there that would have been funny but and the, but the key one, is but the key is in this film when you do roll your eyes at a joke, you're probably chuckling at something five seconds later because yeah. it really, it it just absolutely peppers you. I mean, I might be less, you, you said about 80% I'm on. I, I, I'm probably less than that. I'm probably 50, 60 maybe, but that's, but, but honestly, that was enough. That's all I needed. Like every line doesn't need to hit. And I find it fascinating how the jokes seem to be like th- there is all of these dick jokes and there is in a way it seems like this is a movie that is being made specifically for teenage boys who ha- are just going to go no oh, that's that's really funny but then you're seeing you're hearing like references to like stuff from the 80s or like broadway stars and like all of this stuff that would completely fly over the head of a 15 year old um and it felt like that the humour was 
because there were so many jokes, they were able to go, okay, that one's for that part of the audience, and that one's for that part of the audience, and that one's for that part of the audience, and everyone's going to laugh eventually. I mean, because I don't know how many 15-year-old boys now really know Ferris Bueller, and there is an entire... The the entire (laughs) post-credits sting is funny if you've seen Ferris Bueller. Otherwise, um, maybe you just think Deadpool came up with it first. But... Like, that's that's what I appreciated, and that's why I say 50% of the jokes landing, for me, was enough. I will say, I mean, I, I agree with both of you to an extent. If we're taking that stove on for the example, where um, the, the opening fight scene, what I will say is, even if the joke itself isn't funny, the fact that he's choosing to make a joke at that time is funny. And at least, yeah. and, and at least on that front, it can half land. And it can half raise a chuckle for me. Um, because you don't see, in the typical superhero film, you wouldn't see a joke even being made at that point at all. The fact that mm-hmm. time slows down, you know, he talks to the camera, that that in itself is a joke. Yeah, yeah. And I guess knowing the character kind of, like, takes away maybe some of the surprise and some of the pleasure of seeing him break the fourth wall for the first time and address you directly and do all that kind of stuff. Because if you don't see that coming, you are going to think it's really refreshing. You are going to go, hey, whoa, whoa, what's happening here? This isn't like the last time I saw Deadpool in a in an X-Men movie. <laughs> this, this is... And yeah, there, I, I imagine there is, there is some fun to be had with that. And maybe that... I don't, I don't know, maybe, maybe that was some of the pleasure of the Deadpool comics when they were fresh. I don't know. Did you did you read Deadpool when he was first first going, James, or did you kind of come to him later? Uh, well, when I like I was already reading comics when the Joe Kelly run started, and I think again I'm like I'm always a bit spotty on Deadpool knowledge because I haven't read everything, but yeah, I think that's when they started doing the fourth wall breaking stuff was during that run. Yeah. Um, so, I read I, I read the first Joe Kelly issue and the first like couple of pages where he is breaking the. Fourth wall is I, I thought was was funny or, or, and conceptually interesting. It was the first time I'd read it in a comic, and I and I I enjoyed it. Yeah. Didn't enjoy all of the humor, but I enjoyed that concept. And I yeah. think this film I... does that pretty well. Like the oh, moments yeah, it chooses yeah, to yeah. do it, it doesn't overdo it because you've got the narration. Yeah, I was going to say the fact that they have a lot of voiceover narration and it's not all addressing the camera, I think makes it makes it work quite well. Like the especially I thought actually like narration is very hard to do in films like and not come across as sort of cheesy and Jessica Jonesy. But (laughs) in this case, I thought it worked really well. Yeah, well, and, and a lot of the time it can come off as lazy, which I think is another problem. And um like it, it, I think it does kind of speak to, like I said, the narrative simplicity of this film. That it just it it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to do an awful lot. So the so that the voiceover you could say plays into that kind of lazy generic plot. But also, I mean, I was reading um, the review of this film on Birth Movie's death and Devin Farachi was saying how the one thing he couldn't level at this film is that it's lazy because it throws so much in there and it tries so much different stuff that while I think it's a little bit disappointing that the movie didn't try and subvert the actual, like, 
mechanics of the superhero genre. I, it didn't bother me so much because I thought that, yeah, you, you couldn't accuse it of laziness because it's trying so much on top of the generic structure that it's got. Mm-hmm. Um, which, which yeah, I, I, I appreciated. Um, I was I was also surprised. I mean, I that that opening fight scene where he's taking the criminals down, like I said, the one that we'd seen a, a version of in that test footage. Um, I was surprised quite how quickly that was really getting to the meat and bones of the movie, which is why I was like, oh, okay, we're doing flashbacks. Because when he took down the motorbike that had Ajax on it, I was like, well, that's obviously not Ajax. He's wearing a motorcycle helmet and we're five minutes into the movie. He's not <laughs> going to be, sh- he's not going to have found the guy already. But yeah, he had, and he'd stuck one of his samurai swords to his shoulder. Um, and I, I just, I, I, I had enjoyed the visual style of that opening sequence. Um, I enjoyed just how much work it went to establishing what Deadpool did, what he was like. The the gag with the number of guns in his bullet was really funny, especially when he goes up and shoots the guy two extra <laughs> times and then says it's worth it. Um, and for me, it really did have that Looney Tunes thing. I was like, I'm watching Wally Coyote here. He's getting shot and he doesn't care and he's not obeying the normal kind of physics of even a superhero movie. And I just thought that sequence was such... It was such a strong start to a movie that I was, like James, slightly trepidatious about. That I just thought, visually, tonally, this movie knows what it's trying to do. It's pulling it off. And not every joke's for me, but it's hitting the mark and it's doing what I want it to do. And Ryan Reynolds is selling the hell out of all of it. Yeah, I think it does a good job of also immediately establishing how far it's going to go when it comes to showing... Gore, blood, decapitations, etc. I mean, <laughs> save save for a certain flashback sequence, which I'm sure we're going to talk about later. There was nothing really which shocked me too much action-wise in that regard after the opening fight because it establishes it quite well in that in that opening yeah. five minutes. Yeah, um, I'm trying to think. What is the actual point at which we flash back? Is it when Colossus and Negasonic Teenage Warhead show up? No, it's when he um, the there's one guy who. Uh, he shoots with his last bullet. He gets up, and then he comes out, comes out, comes out him with the knives, and then he takes out his swords and kills him. And then it yes. sort of sl- slows down, and then it's like, then it flashes back. Yeah. So at that point where we flash back, um, I'll be honest. One of the things that slightly frustrated me about the characterization of Wade Wilson and Deadpool was that. Because the first sequence had done all of that, like I say, kind of like Looney Tunes kind of stuff, and he's breaking the fourth wall and doing all these crazy things, I was like, okay, so how much of all of that is Wade Wilson before he becomes Deadpool? Like, how much of that is in in there? So we see that he's already a mercenary, but actually he's a mercenary that has got a moral code, which feels like like one of those things that I said like that you I I almost felt like the movie didn't need to do like that was a thing that you you know you've got your R rating just make him a complete dick from start to finish yeah um, and 
then like he was already he was already quipping and he was already doing all that kind of stuff and it wasn't clear to me how much of the Deadpool persona which did feel dialed up and the fact that he's only breaking the fourth wall apart from on one occasion I think where he calls out he's breaking the fourth wall within breaking the fourth wall um that that only mostly happens after he becomes Deadpool in fact no he is actually already Deadpool at that point anyway so it was a little bit confusing to me who Wade Wilson was beforehand. I I remember there's a there's a moment where he's talking to Vanessa and he says something like, you know, the accident changed me. And he's talking about his personality rather mm. than physically. And it's like, well, it didn't really because I feel but like before and after he's the same character. It kind of did and it kind of didn't. It's like, because like I say, he has that moral code code at the start, but then like the the great moment at the end of the movie, like the, one of the big final gags <laughs> is him very firmly not having any of that moral code anymore. Um, uh, I mean, he's still working as a mercenary though. Like he's happy to kill people. It's just, they, yeah, they establish but- him as a good guy, but not a great guy. <laughs> but they don't show us that, do they? They don't show us him going out and being a guy killing people, they show us him slightly roughing up a teenager. I suppose, yeah. It just felt like they wanted to temper him a little bit beforehand, and it, le- it for me it led to a slight inconsistency, and just I couldn't work out who that character was before and after. And I couldn't work out how much of... Um, it, it cleared up a bit towards the end, but I couldn't work out whether there was a difference to, to him when he was in and out of the suit. Um, and, and I think, yeah, I think the scene with Blind Al helps in that regard of, okay, no, he pretty much is, doesn't matter whether you can see his face or not, he's Deadpool all the time. <laughs> but like I say, more, m- m- the thing that mostly bothered me was just trying to figure out who the guy was before and after. But at the same time, again, I didn't really care that much because I kind of accepted that the film had told me in the first sequence that Wade Wilson is a jerk and, like, you don't really have to like him. You just have to enjoy watching him. And I did enjoy watching him. Like, I didn't care about Wade that much. In fact, I cared about him more afterwards because I thought that the kind of insane superhero movie, uh, superhero stuff made his, that goofiness made him slightly more endearing like because he was a victim then but pre I didn't really care until you actually see him with Vanessa and those scenes are like really good because (laughs) you would you would think that when you have to pause to establish the love story that that is kind of when like the comedic hit rate is gonna fall Mm -hmm. and it just it just never really does like uh, I think more that the where the comedic stuff has to slow down slightly is when he's being tortured and getting his powers. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but but it doesn't... I thought you were going to say something different and I <laughs> I thought you were going to say when he's diagnosed with cancer and suddenly it goes very morose for about 10 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. Yeah, but even then they managed to get some humor in like when she has that line where your life is even more uh, messed up than mine. Uh that's a great line. Yeah. I think it's just. I think it's just. It does. Uh, it slows down a little bit 
in that sequence in terms of the humour. But then, like I'm saying, I think it makes it even more impressive that when the Vanessa Wade scenes are happening and we're establishing this whirlwind, whirlwind romance and establishing these stakes for the character because he doesn't care whether he lives or dies. He says he goes and has the treatment for her. And I simultaneously bought that these two characters were head over heels in love with each other and also found the scenes really, really funny. And we should we should talk about the sex montage, right? Yeah, yes, we should. Yes. <laughs> did, did you both enjoy that as much as me? Uh, uh, yeah, po- was, probably not as much as you, Joe, because you have been. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it was very. It's it's not an easy thing to make a sex montage clever, funny, and hot all at once. But yeah, the film managed to do it, and it's very impressive. I think the dialogue in those scenes between Vanessa and Wade is really, really good. I think the your crazy matches my crazy is a great, great line, which mm-hmm. perfectly sums up their relationship. And their meet cue of trying to one up each other, the thing that you just referenced Stan, about yeah, like about who had the worst childhood was <laughs> was funny. Um I I what I enjoyed to start with in the this applies to that sex montage and also to um the fight scene that Wade has in the kind of in the flames when he's just become Deadpool which is this is a movie that has nudity in it throughout and kind of at, at different point you know we have a scene in a strip club and the film doesn't hold anything back in that regard but at various points Ryan Reynolds is full frontally nude and Marina Bakarin is full frontally nude but they're the moments that it doesn't choose to kind of like like lust over that so like Ryan Reynolds' penis is out in that sequence where he's fighting Ajax but the film never really makes a big deal about it it's just like if you notice it that's the thing that's happening but that's not a joke and the fact that Marina Bakarin is naked when she's having sex with um, Ryan Reynolds in in that montage the camera doesn't make a joke well the, the camera doesn't linger on it and it doesn't turn it into a joke and I thought it was I thought it was quite a smart way of handling that nudity. Whereas I, I, I think that was kind of my fear of this movie that it could be kind of sleazy, and it I mean, sidesteps I, all of that stuff. I, I think thought. it kind of got towards that during the strip club sequence, and in what she's wearing during the final act. Yeah, like I think generally speaking, they did a lot of good things with Vanessa. Not least the fact that, as like as a female character, she's really unconventional in terms of what you'd see as a love interest in specifically in a superhero film, but in pretty much any comedy, like it's, it's rare you see a love interest who has as many jokes as the lead. Mm. And like, I enjoyed that. And then I think they kind of, in the third act, they maybe lost a bit of goodwill off me just for how they approached it. Like, I don't, I don't really see why, they had to be in a strip club except to try and justify their rating. Well, the, the, the frustration I have with that is that, because I, I agree with you to an extent, I wish they would have just given it, put a bit more of a spotlight on her character in the second and third acts. Because mm. it might have been nice to see what effect Wade leaving had on her. We see, uh, or we hear from Wade that he's been stalking her. 
if they'd have showed a little bit more of that, I think that would have given the love story arc a little bit more heft. Um, so it would have been nice to see. Um, because Marina back, she, she's great with whatever, uh, with, with, with all that she's given to do here. But yeah. uh, I, just, I would have loved to see just a little bit more focus on her character. I'm just increasingly becoming a fan of her in general. And I mean, because... I've been a I fan since Firefly. Well, yeah, but I liked, <laughs> I liked her in Firefly. But, we, you know, Joss Whedon weirdly doesn't give her as much as I, I would think any other character in that show. I think she's like the most sidelined of that main core of characters. And so I liked her in it, but I didn't walk away from Firefly going, my favorite thing about this is Marina Bakarin. It was, it was every, it was everyone else. And, uh, kind of quite liked her in Homeland, but then like last year saw her stuff in Gotham, which her stuff was good. The show was not, not a a very good show, (laughs) but yeah, she's fantastic. And in this is really fantastic. Um, and yeah, I'm I'm completely sold on her. And it was almost a shame that when he left her to have the to have the torture done to him, that we had to leave her as well. And I kind of think that it it kind of has to happen because of the narrative structure that this film has. But I missed her when she wasn't on the screen. And then when you do get that scene where they reunite at the end, again. I I I thought the humor was generally better when she was around. And in fact, in those flashback sequences because it was either Wade and Marina Bakarin or him and TJ Miller as Weasel. Um and TJ Miller actually for him quite a restrained performance. Um another guy who I generally always like, but if I mean, if you've ever seen him just doing stand-up or whatever, he doesn't have many boundaries that he's not willing to cross. So <laughs> I found him pretty actually reined in here, but almost everything he said was a quip or a punchline. And it was nice that the film was willing to do that with characters, that it was willing to let everyone have the chance to be funny. Mm-hmm. And yeah, in, in, in those flashback sequences... Both Weasel and Vanessa get that a lot. And so the sequence of, that follows that kind of stuff, though, is what we talked about before, is this uh, torture sequence, which... you're So it follows Wade finding out he's got cancer and he has to leave Vanessa and has to go and have these powers put on him. Um, James, I think this is probably the best part of the podcast to ask you how closely this resembles the comics. Ooh... I'm going to leave this one to you, James, because I haven't read too many Deadpool comics. Yeah, I mean, what I know of Deadpool's origin is that he was, as in the first movie, he's a kind of graduate of the Weapon X program. Um, I know he was one of the sort of quote-unquote washouts, and he went to, I forget what it's called, but it's a kind of, it's a a lab for their failed experiments, basically. And Ajax is in it, so like that, that part is fairly standard. Like, the thing they don't do in this movie that I would say differentiates it specifically from the comics is that they don't call it the Weapon X program. So it's left ambiguous as to whether it is or not. Yeah. He's in there sharing his, like, room with a guy called Cunningham, which I, <laughs> I appreciated. There's not not many of us on screen outside of Happy Days, so that was uh, <laughs> that was nice. Um, he dies, though. Less nice. Um 
I actually thought, so this is where we actually properly meet Ajax for the first time. And it, I think we probably at this point have seen him kind of in the present day with the with the samurai sword through his shoulder. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is when we first properly get to know him. First of all, Ed Screen looks like the demon love child of Nick Holt and Jason Statham. And <laughs> I, like, <laughs> Nick Holt Nick Holt was who I kept getting when I when he was on screen. Yeah, he's he's like those two have been like blended together and he's what came out. Um and I I do kind of like him. Um I really liked him in Ill Manners. Um that was probably the <laughs> film that I've I've enjoyed him in the most. Um and it's it's not a particularly interesting character, I think. Is that fair to say? Like, the just generic, <laughs> his, generically his, evil torture guy. His only noticeable trait is an accent. Yeah. But he is, but he is British and evil. And I kind of <laughs> feel, I kind of feel like he did everything I wanted slash needed him to do in the movie in that he was evil enough that I was like, ah, oh, fuck this guy. But also that, he, I was happy with how little screen time he needed outside of the, his kind of two big sequences. Yeah, I mean, the, his charisma, I think, is what's powering the character. Like, with a different actor, that role would have been completely, like, torpedoed. It would have been the Dark Elves in... Yeah, exactly. But I think, because, yeah, because he's got so much charisma, you can you can buy it working on screen. Yeah, no, I I agree to this. I will say Ed Screen. I was very impressed because I have I had the unfortunate pleasure of uh, watching Transporter Refueled. Uh, <laughs> yes, hence <laughs> the Jason Statham half of it. Yes, uh, so I had you know my expectations were firmly in check when it came to Ed Screen's performance, but he was really really good. I was very impressed, and yeah, I do agree with you, James, in that you know it's definitely the performance which. Uh, make something out of the character. I would have liked to have seen a little bit more focus on that character because I do think there's some interesting places you can go with a guy who doesn't feel anything. Um, but uh, you know, yeah. as as yeah. as what happens in most Marvel films, there's more of a focus on the hero than the villain, which leads to a villain which um, invariably could have been fleshed out more than he is. I mean, that's that's not something that plagues the Fox films generally, is it? Like it's definitely a problem for Marvel Studios, but I think all the all the X Men films, if anything, they spend too much time on their lead villain. Well, that's yeah. true, actually. That's true. I, I was, yeah. Well, yeah. I guess I guess when your lead villain is actually your hero, though, <laughs> 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 when yeah. you can watch Deadpool doing all of these, it's not even fair to say morally ambiguous things. I mean, like <laughs> if 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 he didn't have that Looney Tune quality, you would just think, what a dick. Like, I, he would be a villain otherwise. Like, he, you could actually put him in an X-Men movie as the villain. Yeah. You know, Wade, Wade just actually, like, he gets bored and goes and does something stupid and the X-Men have to take him down. Well, can like, we, okay, can we talk about the X-Men now? Um, well, yeah, let's, let's, let's do it because we're, the movie kind of flashes backwards and forwards. And, yeah, um, so I'm on your right. The kind of, when it flashes back for the first time... That is when Colossus and Negasonic Teenage Warhead turn up. Um, yeah, so what what did you guys think about the use of the X-Men in this movie? I mean, I, I'm i almost 
sorry to admit that I got more kind of fanboy X-Men thrills out of this movie than almost any of the other X-Men films. <laughs> that's fascinating. Explain that, because there's only, there's only two of them. <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's like, for a start, the version of Colossus is more comic accurate. Like, obviously, he's a straight man, and he's being played for laughs, and they're a little bit cruel to him. Like, if you were a big Colossus fan, you would probably rankle. But at the same time, like, the the comics version of Colossus is earnest, and he is trusting, and he is, you know, maybe a little bit, not dumb, but, you know. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. He's a big metal lunk, Yeah, he's a bit of a lug. And like, all of that wrapped up with the Russian accent and with the... With the visuals of him being a giant kind of hulking CGI guy made of metal. Like that that's more that's a more accurate version of Colossus than any version of any X-Men character has been accurate. And with the then, possible exception of Professor X. And then Negasonic Teenage Warhead is actually wearing yellow and blue spandex. Yeah, she's wearing like the proper X-Men uniform and she's a really obscure character from kind of the minutiae of X-Men history. Like, and she's been trained by an older the, an older member of the X-Men in the X-Mansion. Mm-hmm. That's, that's also, standard X-Men stuff, right? Yeah, and also like the seeing those characters in a way that had a sense of humour. Like, the X-Men films aren't that funny. But the X-Men comics have kind of, you know, they're upbeat, generally speaking. At least the versions I like. And so when I was watching it, I was like, oh, wow, someone finally put the X-Men on screen. Like, it was only two of them. But specifically that fight at the end where they, they're they playing the soundtrack and they're, they're walking into battle and they look like the comics. The, I was thinking, the DMX oh, moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking, oh, okay, you know. And they and they do actually team up and use their powers together. Yeah, that's the other thing. Like they actually interact in battle. They don't just have individual cutaways of them using their powers. <laughs> no, I I really enjoyed them for the most part. I did sort of get a thought in my head. Would they really fly the X jet though? <laughs> uh, that, yeah, that was the thing. They had the Blackbird, and it looked like the Blackbird. Like, uh, but uh, yeah, no, I I really liked the usage of their powers because the way Tim Miller directed it, he kept switching it up too. Nagasawa's powers were never used in the same way twice, mm-hmm. which is very, very, very yeah. good directing. Um, so I like I like that they have variety. I like that you could feel the punches. Um, I think Gina Carano was used well here. I would agree. This is the way you use Gina Carano. <laughs> you don't get her to speak much, and you get her to use her physicality often. Yeah, and yeah, the the scenes where they throw down are really, really energetic, and you know you feel each punch, especially when it comes to Colossus. Uh, so yeah, I was very impressed by that. What did you think about the Gina Carano boob moment? 
Um, I thought it was I thought it was very very funny. Um, in in a in a way that I think whenever you do that kind of stuff, you're skirting on the edge of possibly being problematic. But I thought it was the kind of joke that the film should have been doing a little bit more often, which is going these superhero films put these women <laughs> in tight objects in tight clothing, which like normally has low cleavage. They're then running around and fighting. It's completely impractical and stuff's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And it's a great character moment for Colossus <laughs> and Gina Carano gets to be funny in it as well. When she's like, Oh no, no, don't worry about it. That's really kind. Thanks for, thanks for telling me. Like that's, um, that's the sort of thing that, it's like it makes sense that Colossus would stop in the middle of a fight to have that moment, and it's something mm. you're not going to see that in an X Men film, but it's you know it's funny, and it works for the character. And I think that's when, that's when the film's kind of at its best is when it's doing stuff like that instead of the quippy, out of context stuff. I will. I want to sort of have a quick shout out to Brianna Hildebrand who plays Negasonic Teenage Warhead, which mm. is a great name by the way. We have to say. That. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Some of, some of the acting, I'm not talking the second time around, is very, very good, very, very subtle. Um, there's a bit, uh, in, in just before that final fight goes down when they're walking along and Deadpool's kind of teasing her a little bit. Uh, it's very funny sort of watching them interact in that, that little bit. Uh, I think she, I think she was very good in the film. I, I like it that it kind of presents Deadpool as like an alternative mentor for her. Um, or, but also that maybe she's a mentor for him, that he has this kind of childlike quality to him. And the, the jubilation that he has when she says that he's cool is really funny. But like, <laughs> goes, goes back to what James is saying about like the core of what makes Deadpool funny most of the time is the sweetness. So a lot of the time for me, some of the crude stuff kind of fell a little bit flat, but that kind of stuff where he was a goofy cartoon character was was even better for me. And I loved... My, one of my favourite guys from the movie was when he was like, oh, what are you going to come back and say to me next? Is it going to be um, a, a mean joke or, yeah, or, or just <laughs> silence? And then she just kind of gives it two seconds, the perfect amount of time, and goes, not going to lie, you've got me in a bit of a bind here. <laughs> <laughs> And that's what I mean about that. Like that for me, that's a joke that sustains like four or five minutes. If you know, in a, in a movie, I don't need to laugh every second. And so, if those kind of moments are working for me, and other moments are working for other viewers, other demos in the audience, yeah, yeah. that's fine because there is there is kind of enough for everyone, and it almost doesn't matter how many jokes fall flat. As long as maybe, maybe I reckon this film could get by on some with people on like one in every five Deadpool quips being funny. Yeah, yeah. I will say I only sort of laughed out loud, really, um, sort of heavily, two three times. It was more of a chain reaction. It was, it was, they, they, the, the film was going on a streak of of little chuckles, which amounted to you know a good a good consistent time throughout, rather than just you know for uh, rather than bigger laughs. Uh, spread sort of unevenly. There were little chuckles um, yeah. consistently, which is which is absolutely fine. While we're uh, while we're still kind of on the topic of the X Men in the movie, um, 
how did you feel about all of the kind of the little X-Men in jokes? So there was the which one McAvoy <laughs> or Stuart line. There was the various Wolverine references. I was surprised it didn't go harder. I, I thought I thought I thought they were very lenient on X Men Origins Wolverine. I thought they were really gonna. <laughs> I thought they were really gonna take it to task, and they did a couple of times. But I thought they were really gonna go at it, and I'm not. Uh, you know, I wouldn't be. It made me, made me think of how much the studio had to do with that. I know there's a sort of there's a even uh, more R rated cut scheduled to come out um, when it hits DVD. So I'd be very interested to see what's on there. In that regard, Amon, I remember there was a... I I think this was when the first script for the movie leaked, like six or seven years ago, when when this was first being, you know, talked about, you know, uh, Miller, Reynolds, um, and the two writers, you know, potentially getting this film made. Um, I didn't read the script myself, but I heard that there was a scene where... Deadpool broke into a Fox executive's office and kicked the shit out of him for the way he was depicted in X-Men <laughs> Wolverine. And I don't feel like that would have been out of place in this movie. In fact, I think I kind of wish that was there. Um, but some of the other X-Men gags, I mean, like I said, there's lots of there's lots of Wolverine stuff. There's the jokes about kind of like how they can't afford any more than two X-Men and, and all that kind of stuff. Did, did those work for you, James? Did you feel like it, it kind of hit hard enough on kind of poking fun at the X-Men franchise. Yeah, I mean, part of, like, again, part of me expected more of it. Because, mm. Especially with the continuity issues and stuff, I would have expected them to, you know, play with the fact that this film is virtually impossible to place in continuity and it doesn't make any sense and Days of Future Past just screwed up the timeline and no one seems to care and it just, it does feel a bit like the... X-Men producers were like, well, yeah, you can poke a bit of fun, but don't dismantle our franchise. Where do you think it exists? If you had to guess, I would guess present day in the post-Days of Future Past timeline. Yeah, that's the only place I can see it working, is set after the scene where Wolverine wakes up in the present-slash-future in in Days of Future Past, yeah. Because it's unashamedly a contemporary movie. Yes. Like there's there's no period details in the way you might see in the other X Men mm. films. So, what I was most disappointed by, in terms of the poking fun at the X Men films, was that that was all that it poked fun at. Like it, there was the one <laughs> Green Lantern gag, which because it's Ryan Reynolds, you can do. Also, there was a reference to Blade Two, which I found was weird because <laughs> Ryan Reynolds is in Blade Trinity. So I didn't I didn't quite get that. But I kind of like I think there was such an opportunity in this movie and obviously it must have been a conscious decision that they kept things focused on their own studio. But like even if there had been an amazing gag about like how the Fantastic Four movie had completely flopped and like oh I bet they'll announce a sequel for this one as well. Or you know like if they'd have gone um, hey, you know, hey, it's a, another superhero movie where the white guy is the hero, you know? Are, are you just shocked that my name isn't Chris? Or <laughs> if 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 they'd have, like, made fun of, like, um, the DC films being grim dark, or the Marvel films all having the exact same structure, or, you know, just, just like, poked fun at all of the tropes of the superhero genre that, you know, critics of superheroes 
would point to again and again. And so in that in that regard, I was disappointed that they just kept their gags so narrowly to X Men and didn't didn't go the whole way. And again, that's why I said at the start, I don't think this movie's subversive. And I also think that even at the moments that it does approach parodying the superhero genre, that's all it does. It it parodies, it doesn't satirize. Mm-hmm. So there's the sequence where Deadpool goes out and like builds his costume for the first time and fights people in kind of a makeshift costume. <laughs> and that's very clearly a Spider-Man riff. But all it is is a Spider-Man riff. There's not a, there's not a gag there other than this is quite like that thing you've seen in another film. Mm-hmm. And I think it would be almost funnier if the film was com- consistently subverting. Like, and, you know, you could have Deadpool saying to you, now, if this was a such and such movie, this would happen. But because I'm Deadpool and I don't play by the normal rules, here's how my movie's going to take place, you know? Or even if we'd had, like, a dumb Wayne's World moment where you get the Scooby-Doo moment and the... Like, <laughs> I feel like there was there is so much potential. And the fact that... <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I you see, I bet these guys, these guys are smart. These guys wrote Zombieland, which is a complete subversion of the like zombie genre. It does loads of stuff in there that subverts your expectations continuously. Um, I, I think they probably were completely capable of doing it, but they obviously decided to because they were taking so many risks with the humour and with the R rating and with the the different kind of... All the stuff on the surface that was different that maybe they didn't... They wanted just, you know, a tried and tested plot generic structure underneath that they could hold on to. So they didn't want to subvert. And maybe they wanted to keep the focus on their own franchise. They didn't want to remind you that you weren't watching a character who was going to team up with the Avengers in two years' time, that this was a self-contained thing. Um, I just... I just think it wasn't as ambitious as I wanted it to be, um, given given how much how much work they'd put into setting up a film that really could have been. The gaps were all there. It wasn't like it it wasn't a film. It wasn't like I felt it was a film that wasn't capable of doing that. I did because I it do, was it was hitting its own ambitions pretty damn hard. I do think maybe if you do that, you you take away some you know sort of some of deadpool's inherent uh appeal like the fact part of what makes him work is that he is he's still within those boundaries like he can cross them but he doesn't like shatter them yeah so like you can imagine if he was doing that it would be hard to put him in an x-men film in the future whereas this version of him i think is still a viable guest star for example yeah but i i i I would rather this film be a, like, fulfill all of its potential and Deadpool never be able to go near any X-Men ever again. (laughs) Yeah, I sort of, I see why you would want that, but I think what you want is specifically a superhero satire, which Deadpool never was. Like, Deadpool was always parody at best. Yeah, now, I think that to some extent... This Deadpool film had to be, it had to be, this version of a Deadpool film. Just like with Star Wars: The Force Awakens, I think it had to be 
the safest blockbuster ever made. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't quite go that far, but... I felt like I was wearing a seatbelt the entire time in the cinema. That's how well I was protected from anything that might surprise me. Sorry. <laughs> and I liked that film. <laughs> I just, I think, you know, they, they set it up nicely. They set it up well enough. They haven't sort of, you know, completely neutered the character. But they haven't gone as far as they can go. I think they can take that, uh, take Depp a little bit further, a little bit crazier in future films. I'm not sure if that would have been as easy to do if they'd have gone sort of full Deadpool um, with, mm. and, 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 you know, and all of that would, would have meant in this film. Because I do think that you would have turned off a few more people that way. That makes any sense. Yeah, and I guess if this is a film that is trying to appeal to people who, you know, aren't the normal superhero crowd... Um, that it's presenting itself as something different, that maybe it doesn't want to go completely in jokey about the whole subgenre of superheroes. I, I, I guess what I'm saying here is it wasn't quite the film that I personally wanted it to be. But I, yeah, I understand your arguments in, in that regard. Um, and I saw a lot of people talking about, oh, now that they are going to do Deadpool 2, which, you know, was confirmed the day before the movie was released, um, that the the sequel is a chance to do to that the sequel already seems like it's going to be an even better movie because it doesn't have all of this heavy lifting to do and before i'd seen the film i was like but why does the first deadpool film have to do any heavy lifting it's a deadpool film I mean, who gives a <laughs> shit about the origin have ryan reynolds tell it in a quick montage and now it does it does work within this confines uh, i I did find it still, like I say, slightly frustrating that the movie couldn't have been. And I think this is where a lot of the kind of more snarky like reviews have come from. Is that like if if you're not on board with the character and stuff, then what? Or and if you're not normally a superhero fan, that if you do want this film to be kind of tearing at the sometimes really bad things that superhero movies do that this film avoids doing that and instead just makes in-jokey things about the X-Men. Did you did you see the review on Jezebel? No. Like, it was very positive in a way that wasn't entirely good. Like, it just... It spent most of its time quoting uh, the sort of one-liners and saying how great they were, which makes it a bad review in the first place, but... At the start, it also said something like, Deadpool is the superhero film for people who don't like superhero films. And I think it's absolutely not that. And that if you think yeah. that, you've just been successfully marketed to. Yeah, it's just... It's just it's, we were talking off mic about this a little bit as well, but I just... For me, it's unnecessary to take shots at the superhero genre when reviewing a superhero mm-hmm. film. It's just unnecessary. <laughs> it, does, it doesn't have any bearing on... Um, the film you're reviewing. Um, and as a fan of the genre, it frustrates me whenever I see stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're on the right podcast <laughs> to be making that point. <laughs> you see, I think that's why I said at the start of the film, uh, at the start of this podcast, that, you know, I largely enjoyed this film and my problems with the film aren't what's in it, it's what's absent from it. And that, like I said, that might be largely unfair because this film maybe doesn't need to have them. I just, 
I just wanted them. And if that's not a Deadpool movie, then fine. But, God, I would love it if the sequel went, all right, now we can go hell for leather. We can really we can really mess around with what a superhero movie does because our hero doesn't obey by the rules. And we can we can really you know we can really make jokes. I'm, imagine if they called the sequel Deadpool and Copycat, and actually, <laughs> and then and then we're like, oh yeah, we're allowing the female character to be a hero this time. She, <laughs> I know she's a hero on the page. We didn't make her that in our movie because big Hollywood movies are sexist, guys. Have you not noticed this? And you know it would be a great funny Ant Man dig just from like word go. <laughs> and there is, I, I feel. Like, I, I'm saying this as someone who loves superhero movies, because I talk about them every week. But there, <laughs> we come across the same problems time and time again in superhero movies, because they're big-budget Hollywood movies. And, you know, the biggest ones, the ones that I love the most, are the ones that exist within a very specific structure, and kind of even when they're kind of changing their trappings from conspiracy thriller to space opera to heist movie, the same beats that you were talking about earlier, James, are still always there. And I feel like Deadpool could have (laughs) so much fun with those while still maybe not breaking its entire kind of connection to those movies apart. Okay, so just quickly, I've got two points I want to make here. One is that... While I think it's a funny idea, it's absolute madness to suggest making a sequel that is a specific a riff on specifically one of the second tier Marvel films. Oh no, sorry. <laughs> just a joke. I think yeah. it would be funny. It would make but, me laugh. <laughs> um, but more seriously, like I don't think as smart as Deadpool is at times, I don't think it's fully outside that system of sexism. And oh like, no, I don't. But there, like... are, there are jokes in there that are transphobic, which isn't like you know. I didn't enjoy that. And there Was are jokes. It, are that you are referring sexist. to when he says he doesn't know whether Gina Carano is a dude or a girl? Yeah, and accuses her of having a penis. Yeah, and also in in relation to that, just to call back that sequence that um, the love story sequence that I really liked that montage with all the dates. So mm-hmm. the, the the moment that people keep calling out is the International Women's Day strap-on sequence. And I saw it and thought, this is brilliant and funny. And, you know, we talked about on the Dummies Guide to Deadpool episode that Deadpool is pansexual. And this is something that people have talked about in the news a bit this week, mm-hmm. you know, being a big deal. And how, you know, there's even a joke in the end credits here where Deadpool, when Ed Screen's name comes up, he's like, oh my god, he's the hottest. So, like, the fact that Deadpool is actually quite attracted to Ajax, um, that stuff is in there. And But then I was almost kind of disappointed when Wade was taking the strap on and then going, ah, no, no, no. It was like, okay, well, we've got a line. He can't enjoy it. Yeah. You know? it It, it felt like... Yeah, I kind of want to give this film a pat on the back. But how, you know, how cool would it have been if in that sequence, Wade had a kind of like shrugged and kind of gone, hmm, actually, you know, <laughs> for like the 15, 16 year old boys watching that who maybe aren't as enlightened yet, that they can go, oh, and so he enjoys that. And it doesn't 
mean he's gay, but also if he was, it wouldn't be a bad thing. It just... And and you're right, that kind of connects to a couple of those transphobic jokes, which is probably, you know, Deadpool's style of humour. Are you ever going to avoid that? Yeah, well, that's the but thing. It is, like, Deadpool but it is, is one slightly of those characters frustrating. Who, he's one of those characters who he doesn't, doesn't entirely punch downwards because he's on the bottom of the heap and he punches in every direction. So inevitably, yeah. you know, people of lower status than him in society will get a fistful at some point because everyone gets a fistful. And in that way, he's kind Almost of like... literally, as we just uh, yeah. discussed. <laughs> he's kind of like uh, the comedian Jerry Sadovitz in that way. Like, there are no boundaries for him. Hmm. But at the same time, within the framework of this as a movie aimed at a specific, fairly narrow audience of people who are going to go and see it, it would have been nice if they kept a lid on it yeah. Especially if you want, like, as you say, if you want it to satirise the things that superhero movies do badly, it could have done without that stuff and it would have strengthened its position. Yeah, and you're right, the, the kind of the way that uh, Morena Bakarin does become damseled at the end and is doing it all in kind of skimpy underwear and being flung around left, right and centre and has no agency in that section of the movie it does kind of betray that character a little yeah. bit <laughs> but but what you said about the movie punching in all directions i at least did get the sense that it was punching in every direction and this kind of like the the kind of the dumber end of deadpool's humor the kind of the dick jokes and don't get me wrong like i can really enjoy a dick joke like i said the bit where he has the mini hand which was a great visual thing, by the way. <laughs> I love the 127 hours thing of chopping it off and then it's slowly growing back and then him saying that he was going to masturbate. And he didn't even say, it was just he'd spoken so frequently about masturbation throughout the film that by the time he made his coded like reference to Blind Al about what he was about to do, you knew exactly because the movie had been trading in that stuff the whole way through. And that little hand joke really made me laugh. What's my point? Where was what was I talking about? <laughs> <laughs> um, but this is the thing. So even that kind of that kind of lower humour where you kind of expect to get a bit of that dumber stuff. Because the movie is punching in all directions and it really is in a truthful way. It's not like the kind of broy humour that you get from Seth MacFarlane, mm, who mm. in his movies and TV shows goes, "Hey, I'm taking aim at everyone, just not white middle class straight guys. <laughs> they're off limits because yeah. they're me. We don't laugh at ourselves, and that's something that the movie never does. The Deadpool." It makes fun of itself frequently. Deadpool makes fun of himself. And he is as much in the firing line as anyone else. And while there are transphobic jokes, you're right. So it's not, you know, and there are other questionable things scattered here and there. That at least the film is better in that regard than it could have been. Um, But while we're on the subject of talking about jokes about oneself... um, there's a couple of really quick but very uh, funny um, jokes on Ryan Reynolds and Hugh Jackman with uh, certain magazines. 
Yeah, People People Magazine definitely did a good deal with this movie, didn't they? They got the, the, the cover of their magazine in there three times, and just so happens that Ryan Reynolds on the front cover of People Magazine this week. That might have been part of the deal. <laughs> I was also going to say that, because uh, you, you, you brought up um, Marina Backman's character in the final act, and I was having a conversation about this with another person recently, but I think... Super films need to be careful in terms of um, just giving a female character her inverted commas moment in the final act and then leaving it at that because it's it's it's, it's a similar thing that happened in Iron Man three with Pepper Potts in yeah. terms of just giving her a moment. It didn't bother me as much in this film because they did a lot of good stuff with Marina Baccarin's character beforehand, um, but. I think superheroes need to be careful about that. And I'm sure there's an editorial about that. There's, there's, there's an editorial in there somewhere. You're right. It's it's kind of like they know what they're doing because the fact that she gets to, at one point, stab Ajax, it's like, oh, hey, woman sticking up for herself and kicking some ass. And then she gets hit and flung out of the way and she's back to being the same damsel yeah, she a, was it's a bit rote, isn't it it's like so it's they, like it's the film acknowledging it it knows that it's treating that character badly and but will you forgive us if we give her this this moment mm-hmm. yeah spot on Emma. yeah yeah good point um and yeah and, and, and it possibly makes it worse when the when the film kind of acknowledges we know we're doing this we we could be doing something dith- different um but it, at the end of that sequence. I mean, is there much we want to talk about about that a- actual end fight scene? Uh, like, um, should we talk about something that we know is definitely going to feature Deadpool, though? And that is Deadpool 2. <laughs> <laughs> because this was confirmed beforehand, and then if you've watched the film, and if you've watched the end of the credits, and then after that brief cut to black, and actually watch the second part of the end credits, which was hidden from press screening, so you haven't seen it, have you, James? No. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard what's in it, though. Um, so we get a post-credit sequence, which is riffing on Ferris Bueller, um, which I weirdly, I saw that coming, and I definitely hadn't read about it, but there was something where I think he turns to Colossus and Negasonic at the end of the movie, and he's like... What are you still doing here? Go, leave. And I was like, oh, it's a bit Ferris Bueller-y. And then, so that was in my head all the way through. And I was thinking about the Ferris Bueller post-credits. And I was like, I wonder, I wonder whether that's what they're going to do. And he comes out in the bathrobe. And I'm like, ah, okay. Still, still funny. I like it. It's just, it's literally just a reference to something that has nothing to do with superhero movies. But Ryan Reynolds can sell Ferris Bueller. Like, now, you could have remade Ferris Bueller with a young Ryan Reynolds. That would have worked. That actually would have worked. Um, and Deadpool's just as much of a jerk as Ferris is in a lovable way. So I liked it. But then in that second part of the post credit sequence, he comes out and says, oh, and by the way, when we do a sequel, Cable's going to be in it. And so, you know, we'll, we'll you know, we haven't cast him yet. Don't know who it's going to be, but you know, he'll be great. He'll be there. See you next time. <laughs> Which um, I thought was a, a good 
post-credit sequence for Deadpool. Again, I was kind of annoyed it wasn't a post-credit scene making fun of the other post-credit scene. I guess he did mention Nick Fury in there, didn't he? I was going to say, he did do, like, every... I've been watching films for years now thinking, when is someone going to do a Nick Fury turning up joke? And finally Deadpool did it. Yes. (laughs) You know, that's been on the table for years. You'd be an idiot not to have snatched that up. Yeah. What did you what did you think about the the cable reveal? They've been talking about it for quite a while that they kind of want to do an X four C kind of thing, and that the, and that cable was definitely a possibility. But yeah. this is so this is now flat out confirmed. You can't put that at the end of a movie and not do it in the sequel. <laughs> I mean, my my problem with that is cable. I think is a really good character specifically for the movies because he's basically the Terminator. And he's the he's the one X Men character that I've heard the most about that I haven't ever seen well, in a movie. I think they haven't done him because he's very sci fi. Yeah. Like he is literally a time traveller and you can't really get away from that if well, you're people, gonna use him. People were questioning whether Fox even still had the rights when he wasn't part of Days of Future Past. Yeah, I'm certain they've got the rights. Oh they well they do, yeah. Yeah, but. yeah. But, um, that was how much of, like, you know, it was a surprise that he wasn't part of this time-travelling movie. Yeah, I mean, my only problem with the idea that he might be in a, ne- in a Deadpool sequel is that it would cha- it would be a really radical shift in tone from this kind of street-level gunplay movie to having a time-traveller. <laughs> well, how do they interact on the page? Well, uh, on the page, it's a kind of, you know straight man wacky guy buddy cop thing where cable uses deadpool because he knows he's good at what he does but also he's irritated by the you know banter and nonsense yeah and and deadpool's after cable's respect because he you know he knows he's in with the x-men and he's you know got his uh you know the sort of mentor this weird mentor student relationship i guess and is that that's so? There's been Deadpool and Cable miniseries, but I, I imagine I know, there was there was an ongoing part of series. X-Force. Yeah, they were both they were both introduced in the in the same kind of era of comics, and if not, was it? I, you know, again, my Deadpool knowledge is failing me. It might have been the same issue. The way I'm imagining it, I think that it could be quite fun because you know the one of the key facets of Deadpool is that he knows he's in the movie. When you add time <laughs> travel into that. That could get really crazy and really fun. So, so I, I'm I'm very excited about it. Yeah, I suppose you could like you could introduce Cable and sort of gradually reveal him to be a time traveler. He doesn't have to come from a war torn future or something. Yeah, I suppose you know there are ways you could do it. And, and so I can... in terms of the X Force, are they both like members of the team? So like, would there be any other characters we'd be like expecting to see if Cable turns up? Oh, it's kind of tough, because there are so many different versions of X-Force. Are there, well, are there any kind of, like, pre-existing X-Men universe characters who would make sense that they could show up? Not as... Like, the thing is, for me, the classic version of X-Force is the 90s version, which is... I think... I can't think of any characters that have been in the movie that were in... in the movies that were in X-Force. It's characters like Shatterstar, Richter cannonball warpath like these names will mean something to people but they don't to you joe because you you know you've never read those comics was warpath in days of future past was he one of the future ones oh you're right he was yeah he was one of the future x-men 
There you go. So we've got point. one we got one guy we could maybe recognise. Yeah. But mostly it would still be like Deadpool kind of having free reign with these B B list characters. Mm-hmm. Oh, that sounds good to me. What what about you, Amon? Do you do you have much affection for cable or like apart from, you know, saying leaning on that time travel stuff would be fun? Is there is there anything about that movie that you kind of about well about this news that excites you? Yeah, I mean, I, I again, don't have that much uh, knowledge of Cable. I remember him uh, in the classic X-Men animated series cartoon. Of course Uh, he's in that. (laughs) He had that line, the name's Cable, remember it, Uh, (laughs) to to Apocalypse. Um, But, uh, yeah, it sounds like it could be interesting. As I say, the the time travel could be cool. Um, From from what James is uh, telling us about the mentor-mentee relationship, I can just imagine Cable getting so irritated uh, with Deadpool, and that already uh, makes me think it could be kind of fun. <laughs> I do want to say one more thing, though. Oh, go on. This, go on. Is, this, is, this is a major flaw in the film. We finally get a Deadpool film, and Deadpool does not eat any chimichangas. He only <laughs> mentions it once, because I, I, I knew that was a thing about the character, and he was like, he literally mentioned once, and I was like, oh... And it was like it was like ten minutes before the end. <laughs> I was quite surprised. Yeah. <laughs> good point, Amon. Very good point. Um the thing I was gonna say is can we just all take a minute to talk about how great Ryan Reynolds is? Because I've mentioned it. I just think like <laughs> without him this film doesn't exist. The fact that he has kind of become so attached to this character for so long despite the character being woeful in X-Men Origins. <laughs> it, it is a kind of, it's the comeback of the decade, really, isn't it? Well, to go to go from, you know, your superhero movie heritage is X-Men Origins, Wolverine, Blade Trinity, and Green Lantern, which are three not good movies. Yeah, I mean, this it, it makes... <laughs> is is remarkable, but also, like, I mean, I, I kind of know that Ryan Reynolds can do all of this stuff. I've seen Two Guys A Girl in a Pizza Place, and I've seen Van Wilder, <laughs> and I've seen him do proper acting performances, so I know he can sell, like, the emotion of a character. I just thought that he was... His commitment was so clear in every scene, and his, like, just... just like He was throwing himself into every moment. Um, that I just thought, that you know... It's it's easy to say this about a lot of roles, but I don't think there's many actors who could have pulled off Deadpool on screen. He's <laughs> he's maybe one of a handful, and I couldn't name the others right now. Pun pun intended, by the way, James. I heard you <laughs> sniggering. <laughs> there are a few actors who can wisecrack on the level of Ryan Reynolds, and he's the film's not so secret weapon. I think he deserves to go down right next to Robert Downey Jr., right next to Christopher Reeve as perfect comic book casting. Mm. Um, it's difficult to tell at times where Ryan Reynolds starts and where Deadpool begins, and that is a <laughs> testament to his performance. It's exceptional. I'll actually say, I wanted to mention when we were talking about the torture scenes, but even you're talking about the dramatic stuff, Joe, when sort of he mutates, that sort of scene right after that it's a really dramatic scene, and it's really, really well acted. Because um, he's sort of um, the uh, Ed Screen's character sort of comes up to him, and he's sort of taunting him and being the general asshole that he is. And sort of, you know, the 
the physical acting in that scene of Ryan Reynolds is really, really good. Um, but obviously, the, the wisecracking is what sort of everyone will see and everyone will remember. But he can do it all. And we, we mentioned uh, some, some of his uh, earlier films, The Voices, uh, which um, I saw a couple of years ago. He was fantastic in that. Mm. Uh, so I've been a fan of his for a long time, and it's good to see him reaping the benefits of his hard work to get this film made. Speaking of The Voices, there's one scene where he's, he's, I can't, he's beating up a guy called Jerry, and he keeps calling him Jer. And I was like, oh, like that, that's what everyone calls Ryan Reynolds in The Voices. And I was like, ah, yeah. The, the, and there is something of that kind of... I think if people go back and watch that film, that is Ryan Reynolds playing a mentally ill serial killer in a movie that kind of treads a really fine line between really dark, pitch-black comedy and, like, a serious kind of, like, exploration of mental illness. Um, and, and treads the line kind of really perfectly if you don't think it does you'll hate the movie but i thought it was interesting watching that in contrast to deadpool and there is there i think there is some you know kind of shared dna between those two performances so yeah that would be that would be my recommendation before we get to the comic book recommendations is go watch ryan reynolds in one the voices two the nines three buried and four chaos theory and then as a fifth one, I'm just going to throw in the first season of Two Guys, A Girl, and a Pizza Place, because you won't <laughs> regret it. Um, <laughs> uh, James, do you want to say anything kind about the Rye Rod? Uh, like, I'm, <laughs> I'm, you know, you know I'm not a big movie guy a lot of the time. Like, I almost exclusively watch sort of arty bullshit and superhero movies. So I'm don't think I've even seen a Ryan Reynolds movie aside from this one. I'm really, I'm genuinely struggling to think of one. Well, you've just heard four and a whole season of a TV show you can mm-hmm. go watch. So yeah, like I, I agree with Amon in that, you know, it would have been hard for anyone else to have played it so perfectly. Yeah. Um, it, and it's nice to say all these nice things about him now before we get to our future Green Lantern podcast where you, you, and, <laughs> you and Seb say this is bad about the movie and that's bad about the movie. And I go, I know, but it's not his fault. And then just say that for the whole time. (laughs) Um, There is is quickly, there is one point we haven't touched on that we should. And it's a very quick one. Excellent soundtrack in this movie. Oh yeah. Um, And actually James, um, uh, you can, if you head over to Spotify, they have got junkie XL's OST on there, which has some of the songs. Um, I've actually been through Spotify and created a playlist of all the songs featured in Deadpool, including the <laughs> including the Bollywood stuff that is played on the radio in the taxi. Um, that's an actor called Karen Sony, by the way, who plays Depinder, the taxi driver, who uh, is he was great as well. really great. Um, but yeah, so um, I've tweeted out the link, the Spotify link to that playlist if anyone wants to listen to. Um, a bit of Wang Chung and Chicago, which uh, <laughs> mixed in with DMX and Bollywood music. Yeah, you, de- you I, I think you definitely do. Great soundtrack. <laughs> and actually, Junkie XL score is really interesting. Listen, I'm really bad at noticing soundtracks the first time I watch movies. I kind of they do kind of just like wash over me. Um, but if you listen to that music back, it really does have this great kind of like weird. Uh, sometimes kind of synth the 80s vibe, um, but also like 
blurred in with uh, superhero movie stuff. And he is uh, he's doing the score for uh, Batman versus Superman as well. Yeah, I will uh, say I I love his score for Mad Max Fury Road. There's one track in particular. If you haven't listened to it yet, you must. It's called Brothers in Arms off the Mad Max Fury Road soundtrack. Mm. The play count on my iTunes of that track is ridiculous. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic. And I really I really enjoyed the score for Deadpool. The score for Mad Max is better, and I'm very intrigued to see what he's going to do with Batman v Superman. The, the great thing about all the Mad Max music is you can just imagine the Doof Warriors playing it all, <laughs> <laughs> which, is, which is even better. Um... Okay, well, I think that brings us to the end of our Deadpool discussion, and I think that was that was roundly positive. And um, James, I certainly know between you and Seb and I, we were we kind of like you said wary about this film, and so I kind of think in terms of expectations, met and exceeded. Oh, certainly exceeded. Like I, I wasn't expecting to have a good time, and I think this is better than any Deadpool comic that's been published. Yeah. And if we, uh, if if Seb has managed to see the movie by the time of our next podcast, which hopefully he will have done, we'll definitely we'll definitely get get him to give us a, a brief uh, recounting of his thoughts on the film. Um, and I'm on your your. It sounds like even more positive than James and I. So uh, yes, indeed. All of all of the thumbs are up. Um, uh, I'm on. Do you have a comics recommendation, or are you just leaving it to Seven James? Um, I don't have a comments recommendation, but I have a couple of other recommendations in terms of other times I've seen Deadpool in media. Um, I there's a there's a video game uh, called Marvel Ultimate Alliance, and then there was a sequel, Marvel Ultimate Alliance Two. Deadpool appears in the sequel in, in quite a funny scene. Uh, so okay. if you have a PS2, or if you just want to seek out on YouTube, you should do that. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna look for it on YouTube. <laughs> There's also an animated, 30-minute animated film called Wolverine vs. Hulk. And uh, Deadpool appears in that, and he's very funny um, in, in, that, in that animated film. So I'd seek that out too. Ah, excellent. Uh, mixing up the... We've all got recommendations there. I've given you the Ryan Reynolds films to watch, <laughs> listeners. And one's given us a video game and, uh, and an animated movie. Um... So and and now James, you come armed with recommendations, I believe, from both you and Seb because Seb couldn't miss out on the recommendation. Yes. So uh, who who is are you going to go for first? Uh, I'll go for mine first. And I wonder whether I'm actually going to get a Deadpool recommendation here. This is going to be interesting. Yeah. Um, in retrospect, this is going to be pretty obvious. Okay. <laughs> but like the. Of all the Deadpool comics I've ever read, the only one that I was ever really on board with is this series. Like, even... I know a lot of people are huge fans of the Joe Kelly run, and I didn't read it at the time, and when I went back and read it, I've got to say I wasn't hugely impressed. But this is maybe a more conventional series. Um, It's by Fabian Nicieza, who co-created the character, Mm -hmm. and drawn by Patrick Zercher. And it is Cable and Deadpool Volume 1, If Looks Could Kill. Oh, so, I will be getting a great head start on Deadpool 2 at the same time. <laughs> Excellent. So that's your recommendation, is it? Yep, that's my recommendation. What, is, what has Seb recommended? Uh, so Seb sent me an email, which I'm going to read verbatim. Excellent. Uh, so, strap in. 
He says, okay, so as we've described Deadpool as a comedy comic that we don't really like, I felt like I should put my money where my mouth is and give you a comedy superhero book that I do like. So I'd like you to read the first eight issues of Justice League International by Keith Giffen, J.M. DeMattis and Kevin Maguire. The thing about this series is while it has a reputation for being a funny book, it doesn't really get going on the comedy front until a few issues in. But in the early issues, there's a sense of it being quite a character-driven title. And you do get examples of the various characters sparking off one another. The first seven issues are collected in a volume called A New Beginning, but I'd like you to read the eighth as well, because that's where the comedy stuff really starts to kick in. The other reason I'm recommending this, beyond the tenuous thematic connection to Deadpool, is that it'll finally give you an introduction to several characters who have become relevant in the various DC television shows and other discussions we've had, including Martian Manhunter, Blue Beetle, Booster Gold, Maxwell Lord, and even Mr. Miracle, a.k.a. Scott Free. So it'll be nice for you to finally get a bit of grounding in that stuff. As someone who isn't a huge fan of DC superhero output, I, you know, I enjoyed Justice League International, and I think you will as well. Yeah, I mean, the amount of times that Seb has mentioned it on the podcast, it probably was. <laughs> he really does love it. Yeah, it probably was about time that I that I read that as a recommendation. Yeah, if anything is going to trip you up, it's that stylistically it's very 80s. But, right. I mean, you've, I think you've struggled with comics like that before, so I'll be interested to see what you make of them. Yeah, I, I did like Animal Man, though, which I think yeah, was true. right in the middle of all that stuff. This, so. this is a bit more conventionally, like, 80s team book. Right. Okay. I hope you like this because it's quite similar in spirit to X-Men and you're going to be reading a lot of X-Men from the 80s <laughs> in the coming years. <laughs> uh, I look forward to slash dread that. But, um, <laughs> um, I, you just actually reminded me with, with um, Seb saying about, uh, you know, kind of lighter superheroes. It reminded me of Ryan Reynolds in a film called Paper Man, which is retitled Unlikely Hero in the UK, I think, um, <laughs> where... Uh, Ryan Reynolds plays a figment of Jeff Daniels's imagination and is pretty much a bleach blonde Superman um, as that imaginary character. Um, <laughs> not a very good movie, um, but Ryan Reynolds is very good in it. So, like, watch the trailer or something, and you'll you can just see Ryan Reynolds being being a, a goofy bleach blonde superhero. <laughs> but yeah, that's another Ryan Reynolds recommendation. I could do this all day. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but we <laughs> probably shouldn't. Uh, we move on now to our final section, which is the pitch. And today, um, I want you to pitch me um, another movie that Ryan Reynolds could star in that I would really enjoy. No, <laughs> I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to the end of the movie where we find out there's a sequel with Cable in it. And so now that we know that Cable is in it, pitch me your idea for Deadpool two. Um, Amon, you've you've pre-warned me that your your answer to this is very complex. In fact, I think you said super crazy and super elaborate, and probably won't make too much sense. Given given that it's an X Men related movie, I, I'm going to buy that. Sell it to me. What 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 is your pitch for a Deadpool and Cable movie? So, Mister Sinister would be the villain in my film. Um, it will be set in the future, and his plan would be to use. DNA he had previously acquired from certain members of the X-Men to create an army of super mutants. <laughs> now, in the future, Cable and the X-Force would try and stop Mr. Sinister, but they will fail, and Cable's entire team dies. However, in the midst of the battle, crucial information is revealed about when Sinister acquired the DNA. And just before Sinister strikes the killing blow, Cable travels back to 2016, the year of X-Men Apocalypse, um, to sort of 
foil Sinister's plot. And he recruits Deadpool to help him do that. And uh, the, the crucial information, I should say, which was revealed in the future, which was uncovered in the future, was that Apocalypse was working with Sinister all along and acquired the DNA of certain members of the X-Men and then gave it to Sinister. Now, Deadpool says he'll help Cable in return for a favor, which he'll reveal at a time that suits him. Cable agrees. They follow the X-Men to where Apocalypse is hiding because Cable knows that Sinister knows... Sorry, Cable knows that Sinister is nearby, but he's hidden. And it'd be really cool because you, at points you could, you'd, be getting, you'd be getting an alternate view of events that happened in X-Men Apocalypse. Sort of like uh, Bruce Wayne in Metropolis in the Man of Steel trailers. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, once um, Deadpool and Cable team up, uh, Sinister is defeated. Deadpool then tells um, Cable what his favor is. The next scene is then set in 2008, at the exact moment the Fox executives <laughs> decide it's a good idea to sew Deadpool's mouth shut and X-Men Origins Wolverine. Deadpool kills all but one of them, promising the executive who lives that he'll come back for him if, the, if he doesn't immediately fast-track a Deadpool movie. Cable then brings Deadpool back to 2016, where Deadpool 3 is now playing in cinemas all over the world. <laughs> James, I don't want to put you and Seb down, but I think that might be the greatest pitch we've ever had say, on this podcast. <laughs> that that's a very, fantastic. Very complete pitch and what a film I would definitely watch. Oh god, I mean that sounds amazing. What I also like about it is that they're travelling back into the events of X-Men Apocalypse, which I like because I always said that the Ant-Man movie should have fe- featured a sequence where Ant-Man was there the whole time and was like just like on the Hulk's fist in the Battle of New York and was just like sat on Captain America's shield watching stuff that was happening in in um, Winter Soldier and all that kind of stuff. So I was already on board with that whole idea. I like the idea that structurally it sounds similar to Days of Future Past, so you've got loads of um, satire potential there about how that movie worked. Um, and then, yeah, the, that twist at the end about going back and cancelling uh, Deadpool is really, really great. Um, sorry, cancelling X-Men Origins Wolverine. Um, I I love all of that. Uh, James, you have got your work cut out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> Should not you sure my first? winning streak's going to continue. Um, yeah, so I told you briefly on the podcast, on the last podcast, about the sort of Deadpool kills, Deadpool illustrated, and Deadpool kills the Marvel Universe, and those mm. kind of comics, which are just sort of what if series where Deadpool is allowed to fight and win against characters that otherwise he would not be able to. Um, so my pitch for a movie sequel is Deadpool kills the X-Men, which is that he is given the assignment of taking out all the individual X-Men characters, uh, by some shady master, like, you know, let's say the games master, cause that's a suitably stupid villain for a Deadpool movie. I heard they wanted to use the Taskmaster at one point, but the they didn't have the rights would have been a Yeah, there's, there are reasons for that. Yeah. Um... But yeah, Games Master is a different character, much lamer. <laughs> um, and so, basically, you have a film which is a series of Deadpool fighting individual X-Men and killing them while Cable tries to track him down and stop him. And obviously, Cable's a time traveller, so you get the reset button. So mm. it's all in continuity. Um, I just think you want to see Deadpool fight Hugh Jackman, and this is the only way it's going to happen in an entertaining <laughs> way. Wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be cool? What if they sent him to the original timeline? You know, the timeline that's supposedly been wiped out, 
and it's like all these characters are in limbo and kind of need wiping out to, so that the current timeline ones survive. Yeah, if that makes you any le- more likely to greenlight the pitch, then let's do it. <laughs> I like it. I just, th- I think, do you know what that is? That's the plot of Deadpool 3 that is playing at cinemas at the end of Amon's <laughs> pitch. So like, I'm I'm down with it. I just think we've got to wait. Um, so I'm greenlighting Amon's bitch immediately, and yours is on the back burner. I mean, you know, I it's on the Deadpool three script pile. Yeah, I don't feel aggrieved by that at all. To be honest. <laughs> also, while you were saying that, I had an idea in my head that if they, if if Fox wanted to spin Deadpool off onto TV, you know, do like a an Agents of Shield kind of thing, that what they should do is they should team up with Adult Swim and do an Adult Swim animated show of Deadpool <laughs> like I like I can imagine it playing like on a night next to Rick and Morty and you know it is Deadpool that like you were talking about that Deadpool illustrated like him just turning up in a different world each time and being dumb Deadpool, and Deadpool Deadpool killing the Aqua Teen Hunger Force characters yeah that that would work for me um <laughs> and Ryan Reynolds would be up for doing the voice I mean you probably couldn't get him all in you know his <laughs> you know cancerous avocado makeup for every for every episode so if you animate him he'll do the voice um i'll green light that as well while i'm at it i'm drunk on power Uh (laughs) see this is this is why marvel had like five ongoing deadpool books at one point yeah that works let's do that i might do this for the pitch every week like just okay redo this movie but put deadpool in it (laughs) And 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 what it what it will turn out is that you'll both have amazing ideas every week, and there'll be nothing like the other person's idea because you can just do anything with him. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely coming round to the idea of Deadpool in general. I might have to give some comics, other than the ones you've recommended, of course, um, a second chance. Uh, maybe I'll go back and read some more Joe Kelly stuff. Um, okay, but that's it for this podcast. Um, before we do all of the closing spiel, um, Amon, thank you so much for stepping in and joining us for this Deadpool episode. It's been a delight. Um, is there anything that you want to, uh, tell the listeners where they can find you on the internet before you go? Like, maybe your YouTube channel again, or Twitter, or, you know, if they want your personal address, phone number, just however they can get in touch. Uh, so on Twitter, I am at a woman. It's woman with two ends. Uh, on YouTube, I am Monimus Videos. Uh, so stay tuned for plenty of content on Jack on that channel coming very soon. And then if you search Monimus on Facebook, you'll also find me there. Excellent. Um, okay, so that is it for this week's podcast. Um, if you're enjoying the show, then please do subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, or your podcast app of choice. And head to Patreon to support us at patreon.com forward slash cinematic universe. Um, on that point, you can now find more episodes of Cinematic Universe at cinematicmultiverse.com, which is going to be the new home for kind of all our content. Um, Seb has already written a blog on there, which is kind of like a beginner's guide to preacher. We've got all our former episodes on there, and it's going to be basically the hub for any content we create that is superhero related and related to the podcast there, um, there should be a bunch of deadpool stuff going up there very shortly because i've got stuff written for den of geek that i'll be linking to from the from the blog so well there you go and this plenty relevant and this podcast this um blah, and this website has been made possible by you backing us on patreon it was our first goal 
was um, that, you know, our first reward was that we would um, set up the Cinematic Universe website within a month. And now we have. So you can find that at cinematicmultiverse.com and go check it out because Seb has designed it and it looks really fucking rad. And um, he's done an amazing job there. Um, you can get in touch with us via Facebook, on Twitter, at CU underscore podcast, or send us an email to cinematicuniversepod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye. I used to think about one day just not telling anyone and going off to some random place and I'd just disappear and they'd never see me again. Did you ever think about stuff like that? Cinematic Universe returns in just under two weeks' time with Ghost World.